Hello, everybody. I am Blaze Seifer, and this is the Seifer Scoop Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of the second Seifer Scoop season. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Jack Kramer to the podcast, a former quarterback on the Middlebury men's football team from Brattleboro, Vermont. Jack was an economics and German double major at Middlebury, and after graduating in 2011, he went on to start a wildly successful financial newsletter, Market Snacks, which was acquired by Robinhood in 2019. Currently, Jack is the co-host of the Snacks Daily podcast and the managing editor of news at Robinhood. Jack joins the podcast today to chat about his experience at Middlebury, his time with Market Snacks and Robinhood, and how the skills he acquired at Middlebury are helping him succeed today. All righty. I'm here with Jack Kramer, Middlebury College, class of 2011. Jack, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. How are you doing? Good. I have to quickly inter- interrupt you, Blaze, because I need to issue your first correction of the podcast. <laughs> Jack Kramer, class of 2010.5. This 2010.5. is a, a Feb to Feb conversation. Right All here. right. Were you originally a class of 2010 and then did you ever take a semester off or you were always a Feb? Because I was I'm a big Feb. Oh, I was a Feb through and through. I got the nice. Feb. It was down to Boston College regular admission or Middlebury College Feb admission. And uh, I did the brave thing and accepted the Feb internship. Sorry, the Feb nice. admission. And in my Feb semester, I worked at the Olive Garden in Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> made more money than I've ever made in my whole life. I like, went to Middlebury with $4,000 in my wow. pocket. It was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm known as a fake Feb here because I was originally class of 23. And then I took last spring off because of COVID. And now the Febs won't have me because I, I'm not a true Feb. <laughs> and the regs no, no longer consider me a 23. So I'm having a little bit of an identity crisis. Well, the Febs are a, a very accepting <laughs> group. So I think they should give you... They should welcome you into the group. <laughs> I'll spread the message. Um, but again, <laughs> thanks for coming on to the show. Uh, this is the second episode I've recorded this academic year, and I'm super excited to get into it because of just all the amazing things you've done after your time at Middlebury. Um, but given that this is a sports-centric podcast, I want to start there with your time at Middlebury as a student-athlete. Um, so you were a quarterback on the football team at Middlebury. And, and just curious, was this a pretty big part of your identity at the school you know, what was life like as a student athlete? Yeah, it was a big part of my identity. I had a ton of friends not on the football team, which I thought was great. But during the football season, I was spending, you know, five hours a day with my teammates, basically six days a week. So it was an enormous part of at least fall semester for four years. But um, I grew up in Brattleboro, Vermont, and it was kind of a dream to play football at Middlebury. Um, we had like our North South all-star football game at Middlebury college in high school. So that was very cool. And I visited for a recruiting trip. And, uh, the only issue was I'm only five foot 10 and like being a quarterback at five foot 10 is kind of tough. So I actually, um, my brother (laughs) advised me to put index cards in my shoes when I met coach Ritter to make me appear taller. (laughs) And I was seven. And you did it. And I did it and uh, I got into Middlebury and, but I got in as a fit. So I had to take the fall, you know, I was working at the Olive Garden, the fall of what should have been my freshman year. So I didn't play football when I was 18 or 19 years old, whatever it was. So then when I finally arrived at Middlebury 
in February of 2007, I, um, I kind of knocked on the football coach's office and I was like, Hey, I'm here. Remember me? He's like, yeah, I remember you being taller, actually. Like, don't, don't worry <laughs> no about way. it. That's and, awesome. Uh, he, yeah. He quickly like told me to work out in the winter with the team and I met the team and then it was kind of open tryouts that summer. And uh, I made the team, played quarterback for four years. It was great. Nice. And so how did your kind of role as quarterback change over the four years? I understand that you, you played a lot at the end of the career. Did you, did you get any time at the beginning of, of your Middlebury career? And what was it like kind of navigating the scene as a, as a freshman and sophomore? Well, I was a freshman the same year as the highly touted, highly talented, and very successful Donnie McKillop. Um, a blonde haired, fantastic quarterback from San Diego, California. So it was like Jack from Brattleboro from <laughs> versus Donnie McKillop from San Diego. And Donnie just beat me out in tryouts. So I was immediately the backup, which backup quarterbacks, one of the greatest jobs ever, because you don't get hit in practice <laughs> and like your best friends are running routes for you and you're throwing them the ball. Like I love playing catch and I just got to play catch like every day. So anyway, I was a backup for the most part, but sophomore year, Donnie got hurt, his shoulder injured at Trinity. And so I started the last two games of my sophomore year, which was amazing. We played at Hamilton and then home against Tufts and we won both of those games. Nice. And my whole family was at the Tufts game at Middlebury. It was senior day and like we got the seniors to walk off with a victory and it was amazing. So then junior year, coach Ritter, like, he's like, wow, Donnie, you won us a NESCAC championship freshman year. That was incredible. And of course, like you're a great quarterback, but Jack just won his two games. He's two and out <laughs> as a star. He's never lost a game. Got to ride the hot um, end. <laughs> so coach Ritter said it was an open tryout and then Donnie beat me again. <laughs> so he started junior and senior year and I continued to be, the backup quarterback, which was a role that I loved. So Right. That's awesome. Yeah. And I was going to ask, did you have a favorite memory from your time on the football team? It sounds like those two wins you had were, were probably up there, but just in general, was there a favorite win, a favorite moment with the team? Yeah. I mean, it's got to be those two weeks, but um, when Donnie got hurt and I had to step up, Coach Ritter called me on a Sunday night on my little flip phone that I had at the time. <laughs> And I was at the library, like studying mm -hmm. and I left the library because I saw coach Ritter was calling me, which was unusual. And so I stood outside and he's like, Jack, you're going to be the guy this week. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and he's like, what plays do you like? And what plays don't you like? Cause I want to start to like game plan this. And I was like, coach, I like all the plays, but I really hate that one play. I can't do it. Yeah. It was called bench screen. Um, if there's any football players, you probably know, cause I bet coach Ritter still has that play <laughs> and I just couldn't make that play. And funny enough, we ran bench screen, the first drive against Hamilton and I threw an <laughs> interception. It was hilarious. <laughs> you told him, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh my goodness. Like we were badly down in the first half against Hamilton. My first start ever, there was snow on the field against Hamilton that game. And I do not have big hands. So like it was yeah. tough to even grip the football. Um, but, you know, Coach Ritter still had faith in me. And we continued to throw the ball in the second half, even though we did not do that well in the first <laughs> half. 
And we had like an epic comeback. We won in a last second field goal by another sophomore named Anthony Kuchan. And it was basically a walk-off victory. And it was so much fun and just memories I'll never forget. Um, That's awesome. And my mom was the only member of my family at the game because Hamilton is just far away. Mm -hmm. And like all my family was busy that day. And I remember my mom was like so nervous the first half and like the Middlebury crowd was kind of like, who is this quarterback? He stinks. Like my mom was like, <laughs> just sit quietly in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> but then awesome. in the second half, like just, we scored like four touchdowns and we won the game and it was fantastic. Um, nice. So in terms of football, that was definitely my greatest memory. Um, but I have so many off the field memories. I mean, football was not my entire Middlebury experience experience by any means. Right. Yeah. What, so what else did you, did you do extracurricularly, you know, when you were busy with football, did you, or you um, well, any I was a double or... major. Okay. Um, so I was economics and German and I studied abroad in Berlin, which was awesome. I went to Berlin on March 9th, 2009 was the day I flew there. And that day coincided with the bottom of the S and P 500 after the financial crisis of 2008. So I, I went to Berlin, like when America was struggling its most, and I actually felt kind of bad about that. I'm like, I'm my, getting economy, out of here. my economy needs my spending and I'm sending it overseas. Yeah. But Berlin was incredible. And I actually studied at the free university of Berlin public school, 60,000 students in West Berlin, but I lived in East Berlin, which was so cool. And I lived with, um, I actually turned down the student housing that the university offered me because I would have been with a bunch of other international students. And so I kind of did it like the hard way. I went on to the German equivalent of Craigslist and I had this little script and I spoke in German and I was like, Hey, I'm an American student. I'm looking for a flat for four months. Uh, I don't have much money. But I'm like excited to meet everybody. And a bunch of people <laughs> turned me down. But then finally, this six-person shared apartment accepted my phone call. And I lived with five other people, um, three of whom were German, two were French. Uh, and it was like such a great experience. And in my German university, all the classes, I was just like, I was just like the foreign kid in class yeah. among a ton of Germans. And so I learned game theory, which went towards my econ degree at Middlebury in German. <laughs> and I was insane. like only two years into German. So it was immensely hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. But, I can imagine. Um, but then I got back and I was like, whoa, I got German credit for all four of the classes I just took. I wasn't planning to be a German double major, but I was like, I only need three or four more classes to get a double major. So I decided then to get a German major on top of my econ major. And, um, and that was awesome. But, you know, the best part of Middlebury was just the friends that I met there. And I had a sweet sophomore year. I had a sweet senior year, sophomore year at Milliken, senior year at Atwater. And just the best friends ever were my sweet, my sweet mates. We still have sweet reunions every year. We're like all of each other's best men and, and groomsmen and weddings. And now we're starting to have kids and like, we continue to have our sweet reunions. Yeah. We usually do a ski trip in Vermont and 
just the friendships I made are just absolutely incredible. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you mentioned you were a double major and, and I, I know how busy it can be to be a varsity athlete here. How did you go about navigating, you know, the, the balancing act that you had to perform there? I'm sure it was, was quite tough. I mean, I absolutely worked my butt off. Like I look back at my Millbury career and I just worked so hard, like short sleep. Um, I remember I used to get iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts at like 10 PM. And it's like, what? <laughs> you shouldn't get an iced coffee at 10 PM, but it was just kind of the work hard, play hard lifestyle of Middlebury. And, um, I, I, yeah, honestly, I just worked very, very, very hard. And, um, and I, I don't have any regrets about that at all. I mean, I got a double major from Middlebury and I played football, which was great. I didn't have much time for extracurriculars beyond that. One tiny regret I have to like any Middlebury students who are listening now, I wish I had explored the area a little more. And like Snake Mountain is an awesome hike near Middlebury. Mm -hmm. Mount Philo is a fantastic quick hike near Middlebury. And I wish I had like skied a little bit more. Um, but I was so busy with football and my double major yeah. that, that I didn't quite have time. But it's, I think Middlebury College is just a great place for, to be surrounded by people who are also working their butts off. And there's like a camaraderie there and everyone kind of gets it and respects each other. And, you know, if I'm in the library until one o'clock, everyone gets it because um, they, they're doing the same thing. So it's a really great place to be surrounded by like like-minded people who want to high achieve and care about academics, but of course care about having fun too. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned just how, how Middlebury kind of taught you to, to grind and work hard. I was going to ask you what some of the lessons that the school has taught you, you know, both on and off the field. And it sounds like that sort of work ethic was one of them. Are there any other, you know, big lessons that Middlebury taught you that you feel like you're using in, in your everyday life now? Yes. I am a huge fan of the liberal arts degree. And I remember when I was at Middlebury, I didn't even know what the heck, like, what the difference was between liberal <laughs> arts and not liberal arts. Yeah. But now that I'm in the real world, I go to school with people who went to Michigan, for example, mm -hmm. and Michigan is not a liberal arts school. And I went to Michigan for grad school, by the way. So I love Michigan, but I went to school with, sorry, I worked with people who got a business degree at Michigan, which is similar to my econ degree at Middlebury, but it's not the same. The business degree at Michigan you are just like heads down in the business world. And my econ degree at Middlebury, I took some classes that overlapped with the business degree at Michigan, but I also took German and history and English and science. And as a result, I can just like speak the language of any of those things. And I can communicate with technical people, PR people, um, quantitative people, artistic people, the fact that I can just kind of get along with and, and find something in common with people from all different professional backgrounds is a huge advantage for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely encourage Middlebury grads to highlight their not well-roundedness, but ability to, to know a little bit about a lot of things. 
And some of like the most important parts of my career prior to becoming an entrepreneur, which is a different story we may get to later. <laughs> but when I was working in finance, some of my like best accomplishments hinged on me sending comprehensive emails with like 20 people in the, in the sent, you know, in the recipient list. Mm -hmm. And those 20 people, like four of them were German finance people. Three of them were German um, non-finance people. Then I had Americans uh, with all different backgrounds. And I just needed to write like a very comprehensive email to get everyone on the same page and make it very clear who needs to do what. And I think like my liberal arts education gave me the communication skills to, to be able to communicate with everybody at the company you work for. And that, that's a huge skill. Right. No, that's awesome. We got to bottle that up and send over the admissions house. They can use that for their, <laughs> next, uh, their next Y Middlebury pitch. No, that's great. Yeah. Um, and as a student, that makes me feel feel good and confident, uh, you know. Um, so great. Awesome. So I want to transition into kind of your career path after Middlebury. Um, before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Haymaker Bun Company is a lovely cafe perched overlooking the Otter Creek. Come grab breakfast and lunch, coffee and beer, switch up your work environment, bump into friends, and get off campus at 7 Bakery Lane. Haymaker offers sweet and savory pastries, vegan and gluten-free items, and a locally sourced lunch menu. Check them out on Instagram for their daily menu changes at Haymaker Buns, or visit their website to place your order online. That's at www.haymakerbuns.com. They have inside and outdoor seating as well as curbside pickup. All righty, I'm back here with Jack Kramer, Middlebury College class of 2010.5. Finally got that one right. I want to talk about your time after Middlebury uh, in the professional world. Um, to start, I, I noticed that you worked at a German bank um, in New York City. You know, did you feel prepared going into that right after Middlebury? It sounds like you're going right into the big city, uh, right into a bank. How did that transition work out going from a small school in Vermont? Yep. So I graduated from Middlebury in like January, right before the new Febs rolled in January, 2011. And my two big like job offers, one was to stay in Vermont and to work in Burlington at the renewable energy company that I interned for the previous summer. So my internship became a full-time job offer and I was very thankful for that. And then the other offer was in New York city at a big German bank. Um, the number two bank in Germany has a New York branch. And um, I decided to go to New York just because I'd lived in Vermont my entire life, including college. The only time I was outside of Vermont was study abroad in Berlin. And I just thought I needed to expand my horizons and throw myself out of my comfort zone and go to New York City. So I did that. And it was great that I found a German bank because I was German and econ double major. So a German bank is like both of those things. Mm -hmm. And I definitely highlighted my German speaking ability in those interviews. Um, but then I got to New York and I immediately took the job on. So March 1st was my first day of work. So I only had a month off. And I, <laughs> I quickly realized just how out of my comfort zone I was when I went to work and I had like 
the worst suit you can imagine. I bought it at Joseph A. Bank where they had those buy one suit, get three suits free deals. (laughs) And it was terribly fitting. It was way too big, super boxy. And I just had like no work clothes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was like a wide-eyed country boy moving to the city and and my colleagues kind of liked that about me. They sort of picked on me for it, but it was it was like well well intentioned hazing kind of. <laughs> um, but it was it was great. I mean, I started working for U.S. corporations. It was only a couple of years in that I became uh, on the German desk, where I covered German corporations and their North American subsidiaries. So at first, I was working. You know, my clients were Ford Motor Company and General Motors and a bunch of auto suppliers beneath Ford and GM. But then a couple of years in, I had Birkenstock as my client, which has a huge US business based out of Marin County, California. And I had uh, BMW of North America. I mean, X5, you know, the X series is hugely popular in the United States. They sell way more BMW SUVs in the US than they do in Germany. and I had Jägermeister, what's my client? And their US subsidiary was in Westchester, New York. So it was a great job. And I got to speak German, which was very cool. Um, but honestly, the Middlebury, like work hard, play hard mindset, and just the incredible work ethic I had at Middlebury as a student athlete and double major. I almost like had too much time on my hands (laughs) as a banker in New York city. It was kind of a nine to five, um, which you don't think of. You think of New York city finance as like they work the hell out of you and you're, you're working 80 or 90 hours a week. It wasn't that way for me because the Germans very much value the work-life balance. Um, so I kind of got home at five and I'm like, what am I, what do I do with my time? (laughs) And I also shot, a creative outlet because I wasn't using much creativity at work. Um, I learned how to do finance, which was great. And I learned how to use Excel spreadsheets and how to build presentations. And those are extremely valuable skills, but I wanted to be creative. So I started a newsletter with this guy named Nick, who was actually my freshman year Feb roommate at Middlebury College. We were roommates again in New York City after college. And he was in a similar boat. He was working at UBS, the Swiss bank. And we were just like, we want to do something fun and cool and different. So we started an email newsletter called Market Snacks in November of 2011, where we just kind of explained and summarized the news of the day for finance and business in a fun and entertaining way, like our own style. Like we were talking to buddies and explaining the news to to friends. And uh, that was really fun. It was just a side hustle. We had like a $9.99 a month WordPress account. That was the only (laughs) business expense. Yeah. And, And then Nick and I just, you know, wrote for an hour a day and edited each other's work and produced a daily blog post about the news. We did that for like eight years as a side hustle and it grew and grew and grew. <clears throat> and a couple of years in, we had our first advertiser who's like, I love how you guys do the news. Um, <laughs> can we sponsor your newsletter? And we're like, sure. And that's when we turned it into an LLC, made it an official business. That's when I told my boss, Henning von Gersdorf, <laughs> that I'm doing this thing on the side. I hope you're not mad at me. 
but it actually makes me even more fluent about the markets and finance and helps me talk to my clients. And so he gave it the stamp of approval. Eventually, Market Snacks transformed from a daily email newsletter to video appearances where like CBS News wanted the millennial perspective on finance, which Nick and I were able to provide. Mm -hmm. And then finally, in 2018, you know, I've fast forwarded a lot by now. I had already quit my job and gone to grad school at Michigan. But finally, in 2018, podcasting was becoming huge. And this podcast producer said, hey, I heard you guys do this email newsletter and that you guys have great chemistry with each other. I've seen it on TV before. Have you ever thought about transforming your daily email newsletter into a daily podcast? And we we're like, no, <laughs> it wasn't. Podcasting was not my idea. It was yeah. this guy, Chris Corcoran at Cadence 13. It was his idea. And he invited us to come to New York basically for an audition. And so he gave us the mics and he said, you guys cover the three stories you did in your newsletter, but cover it as a podcast right now, go. And so we had no idea what we were doing, but we talked about those three stories for like an hour, which was way too long. But the guy like recognized something was there. And so he offered us a pilot season of a podcast. And then I was like, wow, Market Snacks, could be something big. It's still my side hustle. Um, but if I don't go all in on it right now, I will, I may always regret it the rest of my life. Cause this could be like the entrepreneurial dream that I accidentally have stumbled into. Right. So I turned down the internship offer that I got through like Michigan business school. And I was going to be a full-time entrepreneur that summer. And um, that's the summer that Market Snacks blew up. And yeah. that's the summer when I was like 30 that I realized I wanted to be a podcast host. <laughs> like I, when I was a kid and people asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never had the answer. And I was always jealous of my buddies who like very clearly knew they wanted to be doctors or lawyers or scientists. I didn't have that answer. I knew I didn't want to be a banker actually <laughs> after five years of banking. And finally I was like, this is it. Like I am going to talk about the news and educate and inform people in a fun way in my daily podcast with my best friend, Nick, who was my freshman year roommate. Like this is the dream career. And um, so it was after we launched the pod and did a podcast every episode, every weekday of that summer that's when I was like, I need to, I need to forget about everything else and make market snacks my like entire career focus. Right. So it, it's completely blown up. And when you started it, what was kind of the angle? What did you think were realistic expectations for market snacks? So I'm sure getting into podcasting and having it acquired by Robinhood, these were not probably expectations you had, or maybe they were. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I don't have any entrepreneurs in my family. So, and I'm from Vermont, which is not a, entrepreneurial state. So like, I did not know what this could become at first. I was just thought it was cool. Like I told my friends about market snacks and right. I was like, it was a differentiator for me and it was also fun to do. And I felt proud of, you know, watching my email newsletter subscriber list grow. Mm -hmm. And then when we got sponsors for the newsletter, I was like, wow, this is good money. Even though it was only like, you know, 10 or 15 grand each, 
mm-hmm. for Nick and me per year. That was a ton of money back then. And like, I desperately needed it. <laughs> and so I was like, I can use this market snacks advertising revenue to pay for grad school, which I like kind of did a little bit. Um, but it was, it was honestly after I met Alex who became my wife and is now my wife <laughs> where she was from an entrepreneurial family. And she encouraged me to, she's like, Jack, you can do so much more with market snacks. Like you can be the next Jim Cramer who's on CNBC and like, is the finance personality, like that can be you and Nick. Right. And um, that's when like, I had this newfound confidence that I can be an entrepreneur. And there was a bit of a mindset, a mindset shift and Michigan business school helped me with that too. Um, I recognized that I had like all the tools to run my own business. And so it was really like eight years after we launched market snacks that I said, this can be the financial news source for like this millennial generation. And like podcasting is the new medium. Like cable TV is dying. We should be like the finance news for podcasting. And, and that confidence like helped us create an awesome pitch deck and show it to Robinhood. And Robinhood was democratizing financial news was their mission statement, which it still is today. I'm, I'm sorry, democratizing the financial system. And Nick and I were kind of democratizing financial news. And so Robinhood approached us that summer in 2018, just a couple months after we launched the podcast. And they offered to, you know, they said, we want you on the Robinhood team. So they offered to acquire market snacks, which was awesome. I had to leave Michigan and not finish my, my grad degrees because like, I was only going to get that offer for acquisition once. And I knew Robinhood was a booming company and that was a huge opportunity. So it's funny. I was at Michigan for two years. I was two years into a three-year dual degree program where I was going to get a master of public policy and an MBA. But after two years, I left, I I couldn't go back for the third year. And the funniest part is I was two thirds done with two degrees, two thirds times two is more than one. So you'd think I have more than one grad degree to show for it. I don't have any grad degrees, I have zero grad degrees, Yeah, but I sold the company to Robinhood Robinhood has continued to blow up. Robinhood showed my podcast and newsletter to their entire user base. And so now we have like one of the biggest newsletters in the freaking news world and a podcast that I absolutely love doing every day. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah dude, I, it, it was not planned place. Like <laughs> I kind of, I got lucky several times and I had the right influences, boost my confidence at the right moments. And it's worked out. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually starting a, a, a company with, with some of my friends here at Middlebury. We're trying to create a rideshare service. Um, and we've just been blown away with like how much support Middlebury has given us. There's a mid entrepreneurs J term class, which multiple professors have emailed me about taking. There's the Vermont small business development center, which has helped us. There's like firms in, in Burlington who have offered pro bono. Like, I just feel that I'm so supported. I'm wondering for you, 
you mentioned that your wife really helped push you on. Who else did you lean into for this support? Were there any resources in Vermont or from Middlebury that have helped you, whether it's, you know, uh, former classmates or professors or who has really guided you along this process? Mm. Well, I was at Michigan when, when like market snacks transitioned from my side hustle to my full hustle. And I turned down the internship with Ford Motor Company, which is actually like my dream internship. I'm a car guy too. And it's funny you're interested in ride sharing because I was getting my MBA and master of public policy. And like my safe career route was going to be to work for the auto industry, who I had been banking for at Commerzbank, the German bank I worked for. So like I knew how car companies worked. And I also sensed that like autonomous cars and electrification and car sharing was going to be the future. So that's why I wanted public policy and business. And so I got the Ford Motor Company internship, but I turned it down and did market snacks full-time that summer of some uh, 2018. And a huge help to me that summer was actually something very similar to what Middlebury offers. But again, I just happened to be at Michigan at the time. It was their entrepreneurial center at the Michigan Business School. And they gave me a grant for the summer, um, 7,000 bucks, which helped pay for my rent in New York City. And I also had mentors who I had weekly meetings with. And it was almost like a therapy meeting. Like I was, I was telling them my emotions, how I was feeling, how nervous I was how I couldn't believe Robinhood dropped the A word, which is acquisition. And like, they were the first to know all this stuff and they kept everything completely confidential and I could tell them anything. And um, their names were Josh and Sarka at at the Michigan Entrepreneurial Center. And Middlebury has very similar programs for their current students. Um, And that like emotional support was huge. But they also had experience. So they're like, Jack, what kind of offers is Robinhood making you? And I told them the deal terms that Robinhood offered. They're like, Jack, I think you can ask for more. And I was like, no way. And they're like, yeah, we recommend you make a one-page memo explaining why you think your company is worth more than what they've offered you. And, and like I showed them a draft of that paper, that one-pager, which like Nick and I held our breath when we pushed send because they they could have walked away. They're like, these guys want more. Are you kidding me? We're like, screw them. We're going to find somebody else, but it worked out. And um, so Alex, my wife gave me the confidence that I could be a bigger deal than I was in finance news. Um, Her father, Claudio um, was an entrepreneur himself and was always encouraging me to take risks because we took so many risks that summer calculated risks, but you're really not going to get like a big major reward unless you take a risk. And the risk for me was turning down the dream internship at Ford to work for myself and have no guaranteed income, except for that $7,000 that Michigan gave me. Um, So those were two great support bases. Alex, um, my father-in-law, Claudio, the Michigan Entrepreneurial Center, And of course, the co-host of my podcast and incredible business partner and friend, Nick, and my mom for teaching me my work ethic. And when it comes to Middlebury, I had countless business meetings and brainstorming meetings where we were talking to potential business partners 
about how market snacks could partner with, you know, X company, Y company, Z company. And again, it's that, it's that incredible communication and ability to connect with people and understand what people's incentives were and find alignment with what my incentives are. That liberal arts degree from Middlebury, it's just the foundation of like all of my professional success since then. That's awesome. Sweet. Yeah. And, and just in terms of your day-to-day life, so you, you co-host this podcast, right? And it also looks like you're the managing editor of news for Robin Hood. Um, so what is it, what's a day in the life of, of Jack Kramer right now? Nice. Um, well, I like read a ton of news in the morning, <laughs> so I am totally a news junkie and I want to be the most informed person about finance and business that there is. Um, so I read like six newsletters in the morning, which I really enjoy. I just love news. Um, and then, and then at 12 noon Eastern time, my West coast colleagues are awake and ready to work. So that's when Nick and I lead what we call the headline hammer. And the headline hammer is when all six members of the Robin hood snacks team get on uh, a zoom meeting and we talk about what the news is today. And there's like 20 bullet points in the shared Google doc. Like, you know, general motors is about to announce a big autonomous vehicle thing. Uh, Boeing is having another issue with another airplane model. Um, <laughs> Lyft is launching, you know, whatever. Um, Netflix just launched a new squid game show that's blown up. And we kind of pitch to each other, like what we think the stories we should cover are today. And we always look for a diverse mix of three different stories. So like a tech story, uh, a blue chip, you know, general electric story, and then maybe a story about the Biden administration's plans to raise the minimum wage. So keep it super diverse, but it's all related to economics, finance, and business. We also insist that our mix of stories is entertaining. We do not want our podcast to feel like, you know, a chore that you got to like eat your vegetables. You got to read your news. We want news to be fun and entertaining. Um, So we have a bias for that as well. So after our half hour headline hammer meeting, um, Nick and I have kind of decided the three stories with the rest of our team. These are the three stories we're going to cover. The newsletter is going to cover it. And we actually have two great newsletter writers now at Robin and Snacks. Um, And Nick and I are going to do our own research for the podcast where we'll cover it slightly differently because covering the news in an audio format is just a little different than covering the news in a written visual format. And then I do research for like two hours. I read the earnings report of the company I'm about to report on. I read the social media posts people have made about the news. I start to form my own opinion on what I think of this news. And I write bullet points that are like the notes of the podcast story that we're going to do later. And then Nick reviews my notes and makes some edits and usually makes it more funny because Nick's the funniest (laughs) guy now. He takes my notes and like adds some color and style to them. And then I take his notes because he did his own research on the second story. And I like add my financial business rigor to his notes. Um, And then at like five o'clock, we've done a bunch of research. Um, I've taken the dog for a walk. I've, I've, you know, had a moment with the baby Wilder, who's only six months old. And then Nick and I get into the pod studio. Um, We record remotely. He's in San Francisco. I'm in Vermont. 
we basically turn on a FaceTime video call with our MacBooks. I have my microphone. He has his microphone. We pretend we're in the same room together, thanks to FaceTime. And we have a conversation about the news and we try to make it fun. And we have a ton of fun together. We are like a personality centric podcast where I let my personal experiences here in Vermont, you know, be the anchor of the analogies that I use to explain the news. And Nick does the same, but San Francisco and his upbringing in New York city. And by like seven o'clock, we're done recording the pod and we send it to an editor who takes my file and takes Nick's file and merges them together and cuts out the, you know, the bad parts of the podcast. Cause we definitely have bad takes <laughs> and like what you hear on the snacks daily podcast is not, it's a lot, more polished than the raw files that Nick and I send. Um, and then sometimes I'm editing the newsletter to make sure that, uh, you know, it's good. Everyone needs an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that's the end of the day. And we'll do the same thing tomorrow. We've produced like 900 podcasts because we do it Monday that. through Friday. What's like my last question just about uh, market snacks in the snacks daily podcast is just from what's your experience from like podcasting? We talked before the show started about, you know, podcasting and just how it's, it's blown up recently and, and how it can be a lot of fun. So how have you enjoyed podcasting and is it something you, you know, you want to continue doing down the line? I want to be doing this podcast for the next 30 years with Nick. Wow. Um, I absolutely love this. And have you ever heard blaze the podcast, oh, sorry, not a podcast, the radio show called car talk. I haven't. Um, Okay, there's two brothers from Boston who talk about car repair and people call in and like say their issue with their muffler and like these like Maserati brothers or whatever. They have a bunch of fun with like the person who has the muffler issue, but then they explain the problem and like help the person fix the car. They did that for like 30 years together and they turned, you know, conversations about cars into a fun daily routine and people just loved it. Well, I want to do the same thing, except we're not talking about cars. We're talking about business, finance, and economics. Sometimes we're talking about public policy that affects markets and the economy and the stock markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just like totally, I'm so lucky to have found my calling. It wasn't until I was 30 that I figured out what I wanted to be for the rest of my life. But it is a host talking about news with my best friend, Nick. Um What I think is so great about podcasting is you can do it in the background. It's a multitasking medium. So I personally listen to podcasts when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm walking the dog in the morning, when I'm taking a shower, I have a Bluetooth radio in my shower, which I highly recommend. They're only like $15 and you can listen to music or catch up on the news in the shower. But Blaze at Middlebury, like I was so busy. We already talked about that podcasting would have been huge for me back then because I could have listened, you know, I could have caught up on the news while doing something else. And we just don't have enough time to like sit down and and read as much news as we would like to. But if you're doing it, if you're listening in the car on the way to work, you do have time. So I'm just so bullish on podcasting because it lets people, uh, digest and consume information when they otherwise wouldn't have time to do so if if they had to read it or what or pay attention to a television and watch on tv right um, no, 
That's totally right. I mean, I have like a five minute walk to, to Proctor Dining Hall every morning. And my favorite thing is just throwing in, uh, you know, some Bluetooth earbuds and listening to, you know, the a New York Times daily podcast yeah. or, or like ESPN daily or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just so convenient. Um, so yeah, podcasting is awesome. And, and thanks for adding color to that. It's um, I've got a plug. So it's, it's snacks daily and you can find it on all listening platforms. Yep. Snacks daily is the name of the podcast. S N A C K S snacks, just like, you know, chips or popcorn. We call it snacks because it's just 15 minutes a day, our podcast. So it's quick, digestible, and fun, like a snack. Um, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts. We are really anywhere you listen to podcasts. And it's Monday through Friday. As long as the stock markets are open, we have a podcast. Um, it's 15 minutes a day, and I think you'll really love it. Nice. nice. Awesome. All righty. Thank you so much, Jack. Um, I have a few more questions for you, just tying Middlebury and, and your current career together. Um, before we get there, we're going to take a quick break. Look no further than the Middlebury shop, formerly fourth and goal sports for all your Middlebury college clothing, gifts, and gear. They have all the Panther team gear imaginable. Middlebury team sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, and more by the brands you love, including Nike, Under Armour, and Carhartt. Find them in downtown Middlebury or online at middlebury.shop.com. That's middlebury.shop.com. All righty, we're back with Jack Kramer for a few more questions about his experience at Middlebury and what he's currently doing professionally. Uh, so Jack, we've just been talking about podcasting and, and you had mentioned this awesome car podcast with these two brothers from Boston. <laughs> I was going to ask talk. you, I was going to ask you, what are some of your favorite podcasts? What are some podcasts you, you look up to? Um, yeah. Do you have any other podcasts that come to mind that you try to, you know, listen to every day or every week? So I do listen to some news podcasts and Kai Rizdal is the host of marketplace from American public media, which is kind of like NPR. And he's been doing business news forever. And he was a role model of mine when I got into business news podcasting. So I think Marketplace is great. But two like non-news podcasts I really love. One is called The Sacred Text, which is a Harry Potter podcast. And it's two um, people from the Harvard Divinity School who study religion and like religious texts. And they treat the seven books of Harry Potter as if they were religious texts. And just like a priest or a pastor has a sermon where they spend 20 minutes taking one chapter from the Bible and connecting it to like your lives and current events, they do the same thing, but with one chapter of Harry Potter. And it is incredible how they are able to take this series of books that we all love and connect it to like today's issues and to emotional well-being, it is a lovely, lovely podcast. <laughs> and they have one episode for every single chapter of all seven Harry Potter books. Whoa. Okay, that's one. Another I really love is called An Oral History of the Office. The Office is one of the funniest TV shows you've ever seen. Yeah. And this podcast is only 10 episodes long, and it's just a behind-the-scenes like interview-based podcast with Steve Carell and um, all the characters from, from The Office and the producers of The Office and how they came up with the idea for The Office. Um, how after season two, like 
NBC almost canceled The Office, but they didn't. Yeah. And it yeah. is just, if you're a fan of The Office, you're going to love this 10 episode podcast, like the next road trip you take. That's awesome. Yeah. My, uh, my family and I love, love the office. There's one with uh, Pam and Angela they have, um, which is, which is funny. I find that uh, it, it sometimes is, is more of them just kind of joking around it and it can be a little hard to find substance sometimes, but it's, it's good nonetheless. Um, but I haven't heard of this one, so I might have to give it a go. Um, awesome. Switching gears. I'm curious if you had a favorite class or a group of favorite classes from your time at Middlebury that, you know, you still think about today. The one that immediately jumps out is environmental policymaking, which was a J-term class, I think sophomore or junior year. We basically took the costs of electricity at the time, but the price you see of electricity is just the price. The price doesn't consider the environmental costs. So we took the environmental costs of different forms of electricity and added those in to like the private price of electricity to show the real price of different electricity sources to society. So at the time, coal was the cheapest form of electricity, coal powered power plants. Um, They burn coal, they send out CO2 emissions into the earth at an alarming rate, but it is freaking cheap and reliable. So coal electricity was only like four cents per kilowatt hour. And compare that to solar electricity, which at the time was like 20 cents per kilowatt hour. Really much more expensive solar was because of the cost of installing these panels. But then we took the cost of those CO2 emissions, which no one was paying for at the time and still aren't paying for today because we don't have a carbon tax. Um, the cost of those CO2 emissions are huge and borne by all of society who suffers from climate change and global warming. So we found a range of estimates from like 10 cents per kilowatt hour to 50 cents per kilowatt hour is the cost of that CO2 emissions. And if you add that to the 4 cents per kilowatt hour, like sticker price of coal electricity, you see that coal is actually way more costly to society than solar energy is. And so that was like an awesome combination of quantitative work because I needed to do the calculations for the cost per kilowatt hour of nuclear, solar, wind, hydroelectricity, methane produced electricity, but it was also very qualitative because I needed to study various estimates of the cost to society of CO2 emissions. So that was a really, really cool class. And it was, uh, I had, it was a group project actually. And I had like four or five other classmates help produce that final project. And it was very relevant to me because we had a nuclear power plant right, right next to Brattleboro, Vermont, where I grew up. So all just super interesting. And that in that class helped me get my renewable energy internship a couple of years later which became a full-time offer that I almost took in Burlington, Vermont. So that was my favorite class. That's awesome. And just going off that, did you have a favorite professor at Middlebury that, you know, you would recommend students take a class with? Caitlin Myers is great. I, uh, she was my advisor in the economics department. Um, she helped me write 
my best paper at Middlebury. Um, can I tell you quickly about the paper? Yeah, yeah sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so the pill, uh, we all know the pill, <laughs> the oral contraceptive pill. It was groundbreaking invention in, I think, 1960. Um, the pill was invented. Uh, and, you know, it helped you not get, it helped you avoid accidental pregnancies. Um, the pill became legal on a state by state basis starting in 1960 and ending in like 1975. So there was 15 years of legality that swept across the nation on a state by state basis. Um, so from 1960 in some states to 1975 in other states, there were way fewer unintended pregnancies happening. And Caitlin Myers, Professor Myers, helped us connect reduction in unavoided pregnancies in 1960 to reduced crime 20 years later, because there are fewer families that you know, accidentally had children and maybe weren't economically prepared to have children. Sure. And so maybe didn't, um, you know, didn't, you know, children were born into poverty, let's say, because the, the pregnancies were accidental. Well, that can lead to a life of crime, unfortunately, for the child if they're born into poverty. So we made a connection between states legalizing the pill to reduction in crime 20 years later. It's kind of like the Freakonomics study that did the same analysis, but for abortion, we realized that the pill had similar crime fighting effects 20 years later. And it was like an awesome analysis of causality that I was really proud of that paper. And I remember in a bunch of job interviews, I described that paper much better than I'm describing <laughs> it today on this podcast. But uh, that's some advice I have for Middlebury students is like, Really immerse yourself in your favorite projects or papers that you wrote at Middlebury and talk about those in job interviews. Um, it's, a, it's a great way to do well in an interview. Nice. That paper sounds awesome. Do you still have it today? Could, could, I do. One could, fend, could one potentially read it? That's I that's do. Sweet. I, yeah, would, I was called like a prescription it. for fighting crime. <laughs> no way. That's yeah. sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. And you just, you just kind of tied that into a, a message to, to Middlebury students. That was going to be my, my final closing question is, do you have any other wisdom to, to give Middlebury students today? Any other advice now that you're able to reflect in your Middlebury experience? Um, yeah. Anything else to say? Yes, I do. And this is going to be hard advice. <laughs> Party a little bit less. And instead of partying, wake up early on a Saturday morning and go with a group of buddies on a hike because Vermont is absolutely gorgeous. The hiking, especially in the fall, you still have time right now. If you get this podcast out quick enough, please yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, go to snake mountain with your buddies and go to Mount Philo and go to the Mad River Valley, which has three unbelievable mountains. It has Lincoln peak, and Mount Ellen, which are the two parts of Sugarbush Ski Resort. And it has Mad River Glen, which has a legendary status in the ski community. And like, get some hiking in. Um, I wish I had done more outdoorsy stuff while at Middlebury. 
And the easiest thing I could have reduced to do that was partying <laughs> and like yeah. waking up early on a Saturday and Sunday morning instead of waking up late like I always did. Right. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because then our newspaper, we just wrote an article on how this year after a COVID year, when there was really not that much partying there, everyone on this campus feels like every Friday and Saturday night, they have to go out. And then what yeah. it leads to is like bat, like people end up getting overwhelmed with schoolwork and it's just kind of this mess. It's, it's this fallacy. Everyone, everyone believes they have to go out to, you know, to maximize the Middlebury experience. But yeah, so, I mean, especially now just looking outside with the tree. I mean, that is great advice. And I haven't heard yeah. of Mount Philo. Obviously I know snake and, and some of those other rounds you pointed out, but I'll have to check out Mount Philo. Mount Philo is fantastic. They actually have a paved road that goes all the way to the top. So nice. even if it's like rainy and muddy, you can always yeah. walk on that road if you want. But the view at the top, you have the Adirondacks to the west across the lake. Sorry, you have the lake, you have the Adirondacks, and you have the Green Mountains on the other side. It's it's an That's incredible killer. vista. And like this might sound lame, but here's what you do. You rally like six buddies and you commit to not partying Friday or Saturday. Instead, watch some epic movies together, <laughs> all six of you, and go to bed at a reasonable hour. Go to the dining hall the next morning, load up on breakfast, and then grab a Noonie sandwich for everybody, throw them in a backpack, grab some beers if you're of age, and enjoy those at the top of the mountain. And like that'll be a memorable Middlebury experience you won't forget. That's awesome. I'm going to tell that to my friends right after uh, this episode ends. Um, thanks so much, Jack. And and again, I just want to say thank you for coming on. I, I know how busy you are and I know you got some newsletters to read this morning. Uh, we're recording <laughs> this at nine in the morning on a Friday and, and uh, you're coming out with the podcast episode today, I assume. Um, so thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you coming on and it's been great to, to me and get to know you. Thank you, Blaze. Likewise. All righty. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Sea for Scoop podcast. It was great to have Jack on the show today. He has such an inspirational story and offered up some truly great advice to current Middlebury students like myself. To Jack, thanks so much for coming on to the show. Really appreciate you taking the time. And to everyone out there listening, thanks as always for your support. I'll be back with the next episode in two weeks from today. And as I always say, Till then, stay well and go Panthers.